Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. It might seem a little bit backwards, but I think you'll understand the heartbeat and the context as we dive in. So let me explain to you a little bit what, what a hero and a heathen or how we're identifying a hero and a heathen. And, and the way that we're identifying a hero and a heathen is simply uh, a hero is one that acknowledges God. Um, and a heathen, the actual definition is one who doesn't, is a person who does not acknowledge God. And to acknowledge God is so important. And that's why our theme verse, I'm not going to have it on the screen for you, but our, our theme verse uh, for this series is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. That says, to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, to lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him. And the root word of that word acknowledge in the Hebrew is the word yada. And that word yada, it, it, it's an intimate no. It's, it's the same no or intimacy that a man uh, would know his wife. And, and so essentially what he's saying is, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, intimately acknowledge, intimately invite God into those spaces. And he says, and, and he will make your path straight. And so we, we've been breaking down this, um, this idea from hero to heathen. Um, based on a character study out of the Old Testament. Now, Scripture is very clear that the Old Testament was written for us under the New Covenant so that we can learn from. We can learn what to do, but we can also learn what not to do. And so we've been studying the life of King Saul, and we've been really learning some negative life patterns that he had that moved him from a, a hero, one who acknowledged God, to a heathen one who refused to acknowledge God as a result of his fear, insecurity, pride, selfishness. And so today we're going to continue that series. And I entitled the message today, Competition in Context. Competition in Context. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you as we dive into your word. Pray that you would grow us up, Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, that you would correct us, that you would encourage us, uh, Lord, that you would help us to see your heart. And, Lord, that you would change ours in the midst. Lord, I pray that your word would penetrate down to the very depths, Lord, um, and that you would reveal to us the areas um, concerning this topic today that you want to deal with inside of our heart. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, pray that your purpose would prevail in our time together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Well, I, I, I've been having so much fun Throughout this series, uh, just doing the, the study myself, I've read on the life of Saul a ton, but preparing a message series for it is like you're just digging in really deep. And I started to realize, man, Saul had some major issues. Um, I think some of the scary part is I, I think we can see parts of Saul's pattern in all of our lives. And so as I'm reading through, I'm like, oh, Lord, okay. I could see things going this way. I could see how that could transpire like that. And... Um, and so it's just been, it's been so incredible. But as I was preparing this message, I started to think about competition. Now, I love competition. It's in my top five strength finders. I love competition. I love a good challenge. I love watching a good competition. Uh, you may not be into this, but I like, you know, watching UFC, and I like boxing a little bit, and, and, uh, and I love watching, you know, sports teams compete, even though I'm not a big sports guy. I only watch important games and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> But I do love, I do love watching a good competition. And as I started to, to, to research some of the, the competitive things that we do all across the world, it, it was, it was kind of hilarious. Let me show you one. Uh, this picture is uh, 
some guys in England, and it's a, it's a real sport where they find a big hill and they throw themselves down and the first one to the bottom wins. Now, I, as I was thinking, I'm like, man, somebody intoxicated had to have said, hey, there's a hill, let's do this. And it picked up and caught wind. But I thought, wow, this, is, this looks dangerous. Um, but then, then there's another one. Let me show you this one. This is blowing up a water bottle with your nose competition. Like, you know, the, the thick rubber bottles. And what, what, what got me over this whole thing is this guy in the back here is so serious. Like, he's like, man, this competition, this is, big, this is a big deal. Blowing this up with your nose, I thought, man, his brain, his ears, I, that would like, there's no way. But the things we do to compete, let, let me show you another one. Uh, this is an annual cleanup competition. Like someone got together and said, hey, let's, let's see who can vacuum the fastest. Right? I told Jack, I'm like, I think uh, this would be a great one for our kids to learn. Uh, we'll do a competition in our house. Who can clean up the fastest? Let me show you another one. Uh, this one was interesting. This is actually cricket fighting. Like, first of all, I'm like, how do you get crickets from jumping off of the table? Because they're, you know, they're always all over the place. But I didn't know that crickets could fight. But people are find some creative ways on how to compete. This, this next one is probably my favorite. This is in Germany. This is a motorcycle chariot racing. It's like somebody, they got together and it was like, hey, forget horses. Harleys. That's what we're going to do, right? Obviously, these aren't Harleys. They're, I don't know, some type of motorcycle. But I thought, man, this would be such a cool deal. Now, as I was thinking about competition, in our home, we live in a competitive home. Jackie is super competitive. I have competition in my top five. So average stuff in our home easily turns into a competition. For example, we could be helping our kids clean up the room. True story happened the other day. And I can take a block and try to throw it into the little bucket of the kids, the little bucket that the blocks go into. And if I miss, I'll hear something like, I bet you I can make that. <laughs> so no joke, 30 minutes later, let's do the best out of 10, best out of 20. Room's not clean. We're competing. That is not uncommon. Now, my in-laws recently, uh, let me show you a picture, got my daughters a tetherball uh, for their birthdays. And the first day, Jackie and I, we went toe-to-toe. -to -toe. First of all, I didn't know a tether tetherballing could be so exhausting, but we went so hard. And my wife is good. And when people are watching, like, she wins a lot of times. So it can be a little embarrassing for me. Are you with me? Like, she's a competitive lady. And, uh, and so we're battling, at, battling it out, and we are exhausted. I won, by the way. Um, but, but the next day, our arms were bruised. I mean, it was serious. I thought, man, babe, babe we got a, either we have a serious problem or that's great therapy, like one of the two. Uh, I think it's more therapy uh, than a problem. But, uh, but, but it's so fun to compete. Competition can be great. But when your heart is not right and there's some stuff happening on the inside with your identity, with your security, with your value, uh, competition can kind of go south. And, and there can be an unhealthy aspect. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Competition becomes dangerous when it leads to comparison. And I'm not talking about just, uh, you know, comparing you know, how good you did here, how good I did there. But I'm talking about on a deep level where you start to look at people and it starts to mess with your value. Like if you lose, 
it's not just you lose a game like you feel like you're a loser. Or as you see people winning all the time in areas that you're not. It's easy to look and, and have that mess with your worth. All of a sudden it starts to mess with your gratitude. It's easy to uh, start to devalue how God has made you, whether it's your looks or your emotional design, uh, how God has gifted you, the gifts that he's entrusted you to steward. When competition comes to comparison in an unhealthy way, things start to get really distorted. Things start to get really mixed up, and, and it can lead us down this track of dealing with something that I don't think many of us would even realize that we wrestle with on occasion, some of us more than others. But it's not something like you would come up and say, hey, pastor, you really need to do a message on this. And if you're taking notes, jot this down. It's envy. You know, ancient scholars would deem this as one of the seven deadly sins. But envy is... It's just not really talked about a whole lot. I mean, you don't hear people coming up, hey, Pastor Matt, man, I'm really just struggling with envy. It's just envious. And some of us know that we do, but I think this one, it's, it's really subtle. So much so that a lot of times we don't realize that we're dealing with it till we're full-blown in a mess, and it's already caused and reaped a lot of havoc and destruction. It's something that sneaks in. It's, it's, it's really sly. And it's really important that we address envy because we live in a world now where we have opportunity to look out into the globe and compare. And so I think envy is probably we are positioned in our day and age to really have to battle with this at some level more than others. I mean, you think about back in the day, you, you had maybe a, a newspaper to know what was happening in the world and what was happening in your neighborhood. So it's just, it, was a, it was a different caliber, still wrestled with the same sin and same struggle. But the opportunity and, and the, the, you know, via technology has opened up so many different horizons that are great in so many cases, but also open us uh, to be prone uh, to comparing or looking at things in an un, unhealthy way. And it's important that we deal with this because in the book of Proverbs, Solomon speaks of this pretty intently. Look what he says. He says, a sound, a sound heart is life to the body. A sound, just a, a content, a peaceful, it's, it's clear, it's clean. Heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. It's rottenness. So, so how does this slow progression start? Well, let me show you the first one. The first one, just like we talked about, was comparison. Now, it's so easy it's so easy as we look at things like Pinterest or, or we go on social media. You know, and, and this is so crazy. As funny, as funny as it is, because we all know how it feels. Jackie and I have tried this a ton of times, and it never comes out like the one on Pinterest. It's like nailed it every single time. And then when we don't try to nail it and we nail it, it's, we, can't, we can't compare it to anything, so it's, it, it doesn't really count. And, and, but it, it, as funny as it is, this wrecks people sometimes. As people are looking at people on social media, we've talked about this a lot, but I'm hearing this come in to, to my counseling arena more and more, is that when, when we're looking at people's highlight reel on social media and we're not in a good spot, it can be devastating for people. And I was at a conference recently, and the pastor said, you know, have you ever noticed that, you know, on churches' social media, like, nobody posts on there, hey, not a lot of people showed up, you know, a picture of an empty worship center. Who, nobody does that, 
right? We'll find the cluster of people that are there and blow it up really wide so it looks like it's packed and they're super worshiping when the whole rest of the place is empty, right? And so a lot of things that we see, they, they're, they're, they're not what they appear to be, but it can start to mess with us internally. You see people living their best life now. They're on vacation. It looks like things are just going well. And, and if you're not in a good spot, it may just be a seed. Like your, your life may not be wrecked by social media, but it could be a seed that's planted that starts to, to take root. Because it, it, uh, it starts with the seed of comparison, and then it transitions to this reality. If you're taking notes, jot this down as lust. Now, a lot, of times, a lot of times we think about lust, we think about sexual sin. But lust simply means an over-desire in the Greek. Epitomeo, it's, it's an over-desire, it's an unhealthy, a distorted desire. And so where comparison, you're looking not just at what others have, you're looking at what you don't have. And then with lust, what happens is because you don't have it, you start to desire what they have. Oh, you can go back. You start to desire what they have. You guys already like saw it. That like messed up the whole thing. No, I'm just kidding. But you start to desire what they have. You start to want what they have. All of a sudden, it's like, I want that kind of a spouse. I want that type of money. I want to have those types of connections. I want that type of beauty. I mean, we really have people that are getting plastic surgery trying to look like some of these Hollywood elite. Like, I want to look like that. It's, it's, it's an over-desire. And then from lust, from this over-desire transitions, and you guys already saw it, but to resentment. And all of a sudden now it's like no longer do I just desire what you have. I don't want you to have it. Matter of fact, you don't deserve it. I should have that. And it's amazing if you would see how much this kind of creeps into our relationships. Even friendships. Where when, when you know it's tough to celebrate and rejoice with somebody, you probably want to lean into that. When you find yourself critical and judging on a regular basis, it may not even be judgment you're struggling with. You may be struggling with an undercurrent of envy. But it's just not something we, we, we think about all the time. Now, let me show you King Saul. King Saul wrestled with this. So it wasn't just his fear. It just wasn't his insecurity. Uh, uh, I think pride is an aspect of this. But this was one of Saul's downfalls. It was one of the, the behaviors. It was envy and jealousy that led uh, to, to, an, to, to so much destruction for him in his latter days, where he could have maybe finished a lot stronger than he did, but with the envy in his heart, it didn't allow him to. There was an angst, an anger, a frustration with what he didn't have. And, and it started in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. We see that Samuel anoints King David. I'm just going to give you a backdrop he anoints this man by the name of King David. Now, even if you're not, you know, haven't been to church a whole lot, you've probably at some level have heard the story of David and Goliath. And, and David um, was approaching the battlefield. Now, the Philistines were on one side of the Valley of Elah. The, uh, the Israelites were on the other side. And in the trenches, in the center of this valley, was a, a military just beast named Goliath that was taunting the people of Israel. Mocking them, mocking God, mocking their army. And Saul still 
rather than trusting God, rather than acknowledging God and moving forward as he's supposed to, he's, he's huddled back in fear. And so is his entire army. And so David comes on the scene. David's just delivering lunch to his brothers. Here's what Goliath is taunting. Long story short, David's like, man, how come nobody's doing anything? Like, what's going on? And so, so David said, well, listen, I, I got to get in this game. And he steps to Goliath. And, and I'm just going to paraphrase this whole thing for you. He, he steps to Goliath and he says, listen, I, I, I don't have armor. I don't have swords or javelin. But I am one who acknowledges God. I am one that understands and is in relationship with the God of heaven's army. And you are not speaking very kindly of, of my God. You are mocking the living God. And so, so David was like, listen, I'm not going to deliver you into uh, simply, it's not going to be me that's going to you know, take you out. It's the God of heaven that's going to tear you apart. I'm just going to be that instrument. So he has a little sling. He has a stone. Goliath goes down. That's where we pick up in this context. And that was the beginning of really seeing this envy heart rise up in King Saul towards, towards David. And the first thing that we see is this, is with envy, it starts to steal. Envy right from the gate starts to steal, starts to steal your joy, your contentment, your gratitude, your peace, your security. It starts to mess and, and have you question your identity, how God has made you, how God has designed you, what God has called you to. It starts to steal. And, and unlike the other seven deadly sins, a lot of the sins that we look at, just sin in general. Let's just take sin in general. A lot of sin is very fun in the beginning, isn't it? Like it feels good to get angry sometimes. Like in the beginning of it, it's like, yeah, it feels great. Lust feels really good in the beginning but then starts to destroy you over a period of time. Well, envy right off the gate steals. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel good right off the bat. It robs you immediately. And, and look what happened to King Saul. I'm going to be in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. It says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the woman came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul, was singing and dancing. Now, at this point, Saul is great. They're all coming out. They're singing and dancing. But he gets a little bit closer. And it says, with joyful songs and with timbrels uh, and lyres. Um, and they danced and they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. How many of you guys know that was not on his playlist? That was not on Saul's playlist. <laughs> Go to the next one. It says this. It says, that Saul was furious, here we go, and resented this song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he, compl he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. Comparison. What more can he have but the kingdom desire? See, see, Saul was already told that God was not going to have his kingdom established. Like Saul's days were coming to an end, but he was still trying to hold on to what was left. And this probably just stirred that whole pot for him like, oh, man, this could be the guy. And so it said from, so Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. You know what's interesting is you could imagine watching somebody jealously 
how much that steals from you. Like, like when you're walking and eyeing with jealousy, you cannot be at rest. You, you can't even be present at home because you're so consumed with what you don't have. And, and that, that's what happens. It, it, it steals your joy because Saul was good until he saw what David had. Until they started singing songs that uplifted David, then all of a sudden Saul wasn't good anymore. Like Saul was good with them coming in and praising and all that good stuff. But the moment the focus shifted to David, he was not okay. Now, we don't see that it affected David in any way. David was like, man, this is the Lord's deal. <laughs> I'm not trying to take any credit. But Saul was trying to hold on to the kingdom. He wanted that glory. And this stuff, listen, it will rob you. It will steal from you relationally. Because can I tell you, when others are winning and you can't rejoice with them, that's a bad day. Like when others are, are killing it and maybe in an area where you're losing and you can't rejoice with them, that's a bad day. But could you imagine if Saul would have said, man, this might be the guy. Hey, David, you hear that, man? Great job, dude. Man, I'm excited for what God has in the future. Like could you imagine if he just would have celebrated? It would have been a totally different day. Totally different day. But can I just tell you, that envy will start to rob you from the very beginning. It will steal from you. The second thing is this, is it spreads. Envy spreads. It doesn't stay dormant. In fact, uh, it says that the very next day, the very next day, so Saul went from looking at him with a jealous eye to the next day, tormented by a terrifying or evil spirit. Look what it says. The very next day, Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice, two times. Like he tried to kill David two times. The next day, it spreads. Can I just tell you that sin will always, this isn't just envy, but sin will always take you further than you want to go. Like most people that, that find themselves trapped in sin, it didn't start with this idea of I'm going to be trapped in this. It started off with just some innocence, some flirtation, some, you know, some feel-good moments. And then next thing you know, they're in a whirlwind wondering, how did I get here? Because it spreads. It's like cancer. It just begins to permeate. When, when God in the, the book of Genesis was speaking to, to Cain in regards to his angst with his brother Abel, he said, he said listen, Cain, he said, sin is, is at your doorstep. Like sin is crouching at your door and desires to master you, but you must master it. So we're saying sin is right there like a predator just waiting for you to open that door. And the moment you open that door, that thing's going to jump on you and it's just going to try to tear you apart. It's going to spread. And this is happening and manifesting in Saul's life. And then the last one is this, um, is that it's, it's sly. I mean, we, we have, in our culture, envy is almost like a sexy phrase. Very sophisticated and modern. Massage envy, right? How many of you guys are grateful for massage envy? Anybody grateful? All right. We, we, we have Gucci, you know, perfume and cologne, envy me. And, and, and it's always on the, on the commercials, you see them, it, they're going, the commercials make no sense. They have nothing to do with cologne. Then at the end, they just look and they say, envy, right? 
And, and, and so, so we look at that, and it's very sly because we don't see a problem with that a lot. Envy is not looked at as something bad. It's looked at as a way to market, as a way to look at what I have. Don't you want this? It's super sly. There, there was a story of, of an eagle. Um, there was a group of eagles, about 10 of them, and one eagle could soar and fly higher than all the rest. Well, there was one envious eagle. And so we, he swooped down and he talked to a hunter one day. And he said, sir, could you do me a favor? Could you strike down that eagle up top with your bow? The hunter said, well, I could, but I'm going to need some more feathers. So the eagle plucked out his feathers, put it on, plucked out a feather, put it on the arrow, shot it up, not high enough. So he kept, plucked another arrow, not high enough. So finally the, the eagle plucked so many feathers that he couldn't fly anymore. And then the hunter killed him. Some of you guys will get it in the car. <laughs> the bottom line is envy is so sly. You'll pluck, 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 and next thing you know, you're dead. All while trying to gain and get what somebody else has. And so, so how, do we, how do we rectify this? Like, what do we do? So, so we understand how, how it works. We understand what it does. But, but how do we get over this? And the reality is we're not going to get over it by looking at Saul. Saul never, Saul never rebounded. But we, we, we can by looking at his son, Jonathan. Now, Saul's son, Jonathan, man, this dude was amazing. Jonathan is a hidden hero in the scriptures. Nobody talks a lot about Jonathan. But, but Jonathan was a huge catalyst to, to, to David taking that throne. God used Jonathan in a very special way. Because that very same day that, that David slayed those, the Goliath and everybody was rejoicing, both him and Saul knew that this is probably the guy. And discerning that God was doing something here, Jonathan responded completely different than his dad. Now, when you think about it, Jonathan was the one that really had something to lose because Saul was already done. Like, like he, he was a lame duck. It was only a matter of time until he, he was out of there. But Jonathan was next in line for the throne. He's the prince of the kingdom. And so if anybody was to be threatened by David, it was Jonathan. But he saw it completely different. And he was able to overcome this reality of envy, not even just overcome it, but be used by God as a catalyst to usher in God's will, God's purpose, and God's plan. And it was so incredible. And the first thing that we learned from Jonathan, if you're taking notes, jot this down. We learned that love is the antidote. Love is the antidote to envy. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, there's no envy in love. There's absolutely no envy in love. Look what it says about Jonathan in regards to David. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now, I think, I think today we get love a little bit confused. Like we see something that's beautiful or someone that's beautiful and attractive. Maybe they're, they're, they're well connected. Maybe um, there's just something about them that, that we're attracted to that we love. That's what we would say. Their beauty, their connections, their success. Their, like I want to be connected to them. For some, it could be relationally, some it could be business, some it could be uh, uh, friendship, some it could be uh, I want them as my spouse. But normally when we see love or, or when we describe this attraction, what we really mean is everything that you have, I want. Because if I have that, it's going to make me more awesome. 
I mean, think about how relationships start a lot of the times. Like, like, like are we really looking out for what can I give? Or is it really what can I get? Like, I'm not sure. What can I get from you? And none of us would say this. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, having it, you know, some, some desires and wants and needs. I'm not talking about that. But I think a lot of times we get this, we get love distorted because love is the complete opposite of looking to advance ourselves. Love is simply looking to uplift and advance somebody else. So taking what we have to lift them up. Are you guys tracking with me on that? And so, so when, when that's the reality, all of a sudden, um, uh, if they rejoice, then, man, we are there to rejoice. If they're weeping, we're there to weep with them. Like, we don't want them to, to fail. We don't get excited when, when they're blowing it or things aren't working out because it makes us feel better about our own circumstances or situation. No, we purely want to see them lifted up. We want to see them encouraged. And true love is when you find the greatest joy in watching the other person flourish. Like, imagine if we loved like that in our relationships. Like, how would things be different? But it's tough because we live in a fallen world. We're still on this journey. We're wrestling and battling with some of these things that God is working out on the inside of us. But, but I think it's really important that we lean into this. And I think Mother Teresa is a great example of this. Let, let me show you a picture of her feet. This was the feet of Mother Teresa. And, the, and, and one reporter, one lady, I don't know if she was a reporter, she went to Calcutta to the slums to visit Mother Teresa, and she noticed her feet. And she said, what, what is wrong with your feet? And she said, well, when we get donations for shoes, we only get enough for everybody here. So I make sure that everybody gets the best, and I take what remains. And so a lot of times they're too small, you know, whatever the case was, and she's on her feet serving people all day. Why? Because the greatest joy for her was seeing somebody else flourish. Like she, just, she just got that. Like, like real love is when, is when somebody else gets first place and you're so pumped up as if you won it yourself. That's real love. And so, so Jonathan has this heart towards David. He said, listen, listen, I, get, I can discern what God is doing here. And man, listen, I, I, I'm secure. My identity is secure. I want to be a part of what God is doing that. And man, he knitted himself to David. So he shows us that love is the antidote. The second thing, i got to hurry up because we're running out of time, is this. Is he shows us that Christ is our motivation. That Jesus is our motivation. Look what it says here. It says that Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. And his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. He stripped himself of the robe. The robe was that garment of entitlement. That I am the next in line to the throne. My weapons, all of that, first class, top of the line. And, and you and I both know, even in our modern day, what it means when somebody gives you their sword. All right, let me show you a picture of this. The Last Samurai, Mr. Tom Cruise. You guys remember this moment? He's presenting this sword to the emperor, and, and he says this. He says, listen, if you command me, I will plunge this sword into my gut. Meaning, I am fully submitted to your authority. Command me. Do whatever you want to do. Here it is. 
And it, and it was as if Jonathan was saying, listen, I get it. I see what God is doing here, and I'm okay with it. Matter of fact, here's my robe. Matter of fact, here's my sword, my bow. I'm submitted. What type of elite? Guys, listen, if you really, if we had time to dive into this, who does that? Like we get upset when somebody gets a promotion and we've been working really hard for it. Why did they overlook me, huh? Like it, it's hard because we're human. There's so many times where I, where I look and I see that, you know, pastors, friends of mine that are a lot further than, 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 than we are, that I think we should be. And it's easy to be like, well, man, man I, I train them. Like, it's so easy for that stuff to creep into our hearts. But Jonathan was like, no, 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 no. I'm all in, bro. Here's my, my, here's my code. Here's everything. But does it sound familiar to you? He stripped himself. Philippians chapter 2, let me show you what it says. It's coming. Maybe it's not on there. Philippians chapter 2, it says that, that Jesus stripped himself, that he emptied himself. Even though here we have God in the flesh, he didn't consider God somebody to be equal with, and he humbled himself unto death, taking on the form of a servant, even death on a cross. He stripped himself. Why? For our joy. For our joy. Like, like he knew that if we were going to be, if we were going to be lifted up, he was going to have to be brought down. That's reality. I mean, think of every, the one who had the most entitlement said, I am so for you, but if you're going to get what you don't, if you're going to get what you don't deserve, I have to take what I don't deserve, and I'm going to come down, I'm going to humble, I'm going to strip myself, I'm going to empty myself so that you would have life, so that you would have joy, so that you would be able to be with me for all eternity. I want to be in relationship with you, and the only way that happens is if I'm going to strip myself. And think about this. Think about what God promises us. Think about what, what is promised to us as a result of what he has done. Purely by grace, none of us deserve that. None of us deserve that. So wow, where do we get our entitlement from? And where do we get the, like, like when you see that, man, I'm set, I'm bound for eternity. All of the sudden, listen, in light of his beautiful face, all of the things of this world grow strangely dim. And it becomes less about what can I get and more about I got you and that's all I need. Everything else is a benefit. So God, whatever you've called me to, whatever you've entrusted me with, whatever you want me to do, whether it's on a stage or in obscurity, I'm yours. I don't need that anymore. That will change your heart when you grasp that reality of the gospel. Could you imagine David watching Jonathan strip himself of all that? Like, what? That's a true leader. To recognize what God is doing and be okay with it, even if it forfeits his position. That's a great leader. And lastly is this, Jonathan showed us this. When God is your king, you don't need to be. When God is your king, you don't need to be. See, you know why Jonathan was able to respond like that? Because he had already dethroned himself from his heart. 
God was already on the throne of his heart. And so when it came time for God's plan to come to fruition, Jonathan said, it's never been about a position. It's always been about God's plan. And when you have God's presence ruling and reigning inside of you, you don't need a position. You don't need any of that for security, for, for hope, for, for, for identity. You don't need it because you got him. This is so rich, and I wish I could spend time, but this is what I think happens to us. Let me, let me, let me close with this. Impala. I used to think that Impalas were cars only when I was growing up. But you know an Impala can jump 10 feet straight up vertical and can jump 30 feet out. But you know how they contain them in a zoo? They contain them with a three-foot wall. And the reason why is because if they can't see where they're going to land, they won't jump. Three-foot wall. And the word of the Lord, I believe, for us today is that I think that so many times the enemy is building these three-foot walls to try to keep us from what God has called us to, 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 to stepping into all that God has for us. And, and there's these three-foot walls. Like, like for Saul, it was a, a three-foot wall of a, of a man by the name of Goliath. But, but David said, man, I'm not moved by walls. I know that God can cause me to leap. You have Jonathan saying, man, uh, the enemy trying to put a three-foot wall of position and entitlement. Jonathan said, man, I'm not moved by I, I'm not moved by position. Because I'm not moved by what I see, but by the one who is in control of all things. And so he jumped, stripping himself that God's plan would prevail over his position. And so, so, so my encouragement to you today is this. Guard your heart. Don't play with envy. It will rotten your bones. Be mindful of comparison. Pay attention when you're starting to over-desire. I sat in my buddy's car this last week. We were going to a conference, and I drove his car because I know the lay of the land. I said, I'm like, whoa, this thing is comfortable. My Yaris ain't like this. Wow, it drives. They're so spacious. It just creeps in. He's like, don't even do it. I said, I know. Get behind me, spirit of the car payment, right? It's so easy. It's so sly. And don't let the enemy build these walls. Let, let me just let me let me say this in, in, in closing. Just and just, just hear my heart in this. Love is the antidote. Christ is your motivation. Outside of Christ and the reality of the cross, you'll never be able to live like this. Outside of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you won't be able to. And you don't need to be king. finished weak, Jonathan finished strong.